Welcome to Pursuing Biblical Masculinity, a podcast where we explore God's Word to uncover the disciplines we need to live out our faith. Our heart is to help men not just know Scripture, but to be able to put it into practice so that no matter what comes their way, they can stand firm in their faith. So whether you're a longtime believer or you're new to the faith and you want to build a stronger foundation on biblical truths, you're in the right place. This week, we're looking at the perfect model for leadership, and that's Jesus. We're going to take a look at his life and how he modeled leadership for each and every one of us. We learn through modeling. We model others. That's that's how we learned how to talk or how to walk or engage with others because as children, we modeled our parents and we modeled their behavior. So we can learn good things through modeling and we can also learn things that aren't so good. Uh, And we've talked about in a previous episode that the type of leader that we look to as our model will have direct impacts on the results that we get. So if we model worldly leadership, we're gonna get worldly results. If we model godly leadership, we're gonna get godly results. And today we're going to look at the perfect model of godly leadership. We're going to look at the life of Jesus. So there's five areas that we're going to break down, uh, specific things that Jesus modeled for us. He modeled way more than five things, but we're going to look at five and how we can follow his wisdom in our lives. So the first area that Jesus modeled was personal leadership and personal development. So if you're going to lead others, it starts with yourself. You have to lead yourself well. This means you have self-discipline to invest in the things that really matter. From an early age, Christ knew what mattered most, and he was very intentional about developing himself. There's a story in Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52, where Jesus' family went to Jerusalem for the Passover. They 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 were there celebrating the Passover, and after it was done, they started on their journey home. And as they were on their journey home, Jesus' parents looked around and were like, wait a second, where's Jesus? He's not here. So they they run back, they retrace their steps, and they begin looking for him. It takes them three days, and they finally found him in the temple. And his response to them was, Why are you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Even at the age of 12, he was diligently studying the word of God and spending time in the presence of God. Uh, At the end of this story, in verse 52, it says that Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Now, Jesus, being fully God, definitely knew everything. But this story points to his humanity, and he shows the importance of personal development, of studying scripture, of being in the presence of God, and showing that he, the Son of God, took time to develop himself and develop that relationship with God. And really, this is a challenge for each and every one of us. Like, if Jesus was doing that, we should model that as well. He made time with his Father a priority. It says in Mark chapter 135, And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Jesus got up before everybody else, and he went and spent time with God. He needed to be in the presence of God to sustain him while he was on mission here on the earth. And this wasn't something that he just did every once in a while, or when he felt like doing it. It's something that was part of his personal discipline that gave him the strength he needed to carry out his calling. Jesus was intentional with his personal development. And as believers, we need to learn to model this behavior and to be intentional with how we lead ourselves and develop ourselves so that we can then lead others out of the excess of what God's doing in us. Jesus also led with compassion. Leaders must care about people. Great leaders lead with compassion. They take time to meet people where they are. And when they're able to, they meet those needs, physically, spiritually, emotionally, whatever they can do to serve in that situation. 
And if we look at the Gospels, we see a number of examples of Jesus doing this, Jesus having compassion. Uh, one of the most powerful examples comes from Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 56. Jesus is on his way to the home of Jairus, and Jairus was a ruler in the synagogue, and his daughter was dying. And Jairus came to Jesus out of desperation and says, you need to heal my daughter. Jesus begins to make uh, his journey to Jairus' house, and in the meantime, he's passing through a crowd, and somebody touches him. Well, of course, people are touching him. People are touching him all over, and that's really what Peter is saying. Peter's like, what do you mean somebody touched you? <laughs> Uh, and as Jesus is looking around, he sees this woman and she's terrified because she knows she's in big trouble. You see, this woman was unclean. She knew that she shouldn't even have been in this crowd of people. Her uncleanliness literally was a condition that cut her off from society. It cut her off from many of the social relationships that Jews would have of that day and excluded her from religious gatherings, excluded her from worshiping in the temple. And Jesus was a man of God. Even if the Jews didn't see him as the Messiah now, they did acknowledge him as, as a prophet, as a teacher at least. And so the fact that she not only was in the crowd, but then went and touched someone like Jesus, it was risking everything. And she did it for the chance of being healed. And she was terrified when she got found out. But Jesus had compassion towards her. And he tells her that her faith has made her whole. And she was clean and she was healed because of that risk, but also because of the compassion of Jesus. And as this moment, this beautiful moment of compassion is happening, People come from Jairus' house and they say, hey, don't bother Jesus anymore, your daughter is dead. And in that moment, Jesus sees probably Jairus just, you know, maybe lose it a little bit. He's emotionally wrecked, his daughter is, is dead, right? But Jesus has compassion, he looks him in the eyes and he tells him to have faith. Do not fear, but have faith is what Jesus says. And Jesus went and healed his daughter. I mean, this is just one example. There's so many more throughout the gospels of Jesus having compassion on humanity, having compassion on his people, and then going to meet them where they are and to heal them or to meet their needs. Leaders also speak truth in love. Leaders have to speak the truth. They have to be honest, they have to be transparent. People follow leaders because they want to be led. And as leaders, it's our responsibility to lead them well. This means that we need to be honest, even if it's painful. The people we lead sometimes may get off track. They may lose mission and they may lose focus. And it's our role to help them refocus and get back on track. Again, the Gospels give us plenty of examples of this. In Luke chapter 10, we see a picture of Mary and Martha. And Martha's busy doing all this housework while Mary sits at the feet of Jesus, listening to Jesus teach. And Martha comes to Jesus and she's complaining. She's like, why isn't my sister helping? You see me doing all this work? And Jesus lovingly responds to Martha. He says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary chose the good portion, which will not be taken from her. Now, I'm pretty sure Martha wanted Jesus to tell Mary to go help. But what Martha really needed to hear is that she was focusing in the wrong area. And then she needed to reset her priorities and stop thinking about all the things she had to do and just spend time with Jesus. Another example of this uh, comes from a time when, when Peter, he had his mind set on the things of man. And Jesus had to speak truth in love to Peter. This comes from Matthew chapter 16. So Jesus is preparing his disciples for what's about to take place. He's telling him that I'm going to be handed over, I'm going to be killed, but then I'm going to raise on the third day. Now, Peter probably only heard handed over and killed because he is not happy about this. He had just professed Jesus as the Messiah, but then he hears what Jesus is saying. He doesn't like the plan. In fact, he says, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Peter could only see Jesus as an earthly Messiah at this point. He couldn't even imagine the great plan of redemption that God had in store. 
Now Jesus' response to him, it must have cut him to the core. In Matthew 16, 33, Jesus turns to him and he says, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. Jesus spoke truth and loved to Peter, even though it was very hard for Peter, I'm sure, at that moment. And notice the difference, how Jesus spoke to Peter versus how he spoke to Martha. He personalized the way that he spoke truth to them. And he knew how they needed to hear truth in order to get their focus back. So if you look at Martha, he was a little bit more gentle, right? He was helping her refocus and shift from anxiety to a point of being with Jesus. For Peter, I mean, he went hard at Peter. And as a leader, we also need to learn how to speak truth in love, but we need to do it in a way that will move those we lead towards correction, those we lead towards realignment, instead of treating everybody the same, because everybody has different needs and we need to know how to speak truth and love to them. The next thing Jesus did is he invested in the next generation. If a leader leaves a vacuum behind them, they are not a great leader. The ultimate role of a leader is to build up that next generation so they can carry out their mission when they're gone. And Jesus was very intentional in developing leaders to carry the gospel message to the ends of the earth. He spent time teaching them, equipping them, and praying for them. The longest section of teaching we have from Jesus in the Bible is the Sermon on the Mount. A lot of times we see pictures of this. We see Jesus teaching this really large crowd. But if we actually read the text, we see that the sermon is specifically for his disciples. It says in Matthew 5, 1 through 2, Seeing the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, right, and he goes into the message there. But if we say, he opened his mouth and taught them, who is them? Well, if we look back to verse 1, it's his disciples. The disciples came to him, and Jesus spent time teaching them. And he goes into this really beautiful message from Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and just pouring out wisdom from heaven into his followers. But knowledge alone is useless without action. So he also equipped them to do the ministry that he called them to do and taught them about. In Luke 10, we see Jesus send out the 72. He gave them directions on what to do, how to do it, and then he gave them the authority to do it. When they came back, they debriefed with Jesus and they glorified God. He does the same thing later with the 12. So this was kind of like practice run for their, their ministry. He was giving them chances to go out and proclaim the gospel while he was still here before he went to be with the Father. He was equipping them for their ultimate calling. And the final way that Jesus invested in the next generation was through prayer. We see a beautiful picture of this in John 17. Just before Jesus was praying, he's praying for his disciples. And he says in John 17, 15 through 19, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. And as you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. After Jesus prays for his disciples, he prays for us. He prays for all who will believe as a result of their message. And today it says in Romans 8.34 that Jesus is still interceding on our behalf at the right hand of God. So as leaders, we have to educate those we lead. We need to equip them for the things that we've, we've raised them up for. And then we constantly need to pray for them and begin to pour over them and ask God to, to protect them and give them the things that they need because there's so much that's out of our control that we have no control over. But what we can do is we can pray for them. The last thing that Jesus showed us and modeled for us was a commitment an unwavering commitment to the mission. There is no scripture that says life will be easy, but there's plenty of it that says that we will have to suffer as Christ suffered. 
in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, give us a clear picture of the point of suffering. Suffering is what helps sanctify us to do the things that we are called to do. In order to accomplish the mission, we have to remain steadfast, even in the midst of suffering. Hebrews 12, 1-2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings to us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus never forgot why he was on earth. He knew that temporary pain and suffering would bring ultimate glory to God the Father and justification to his elect. In the verse we just mentioned, Jesus had his eyes fixed on the joy that was set before him. And as leaders, we have to do the same. We have to know our mission. Whether that mission is leading our family in the way that God calls us to, whether that mission is uh, building a business that glorifies God or leading a personal life that honors him, we cannot take our eyes off the end goal. And as Christians, our ultimate goal is to bring glory to God. When we sell out to that mission, it moves those we lead as well. Again, looking at the examples of Jesus, his disciples were not world-class leaders, nor were they the best and the brightest of their time. But they had a leader that called them to a higher purpose, led by example, and as a result, God used those men to change the world. So let's apply this. How can we apply these lessons from scripture to our personal life? Well, the first question is this, where do you need to grow in your personal leadership? and write some actions that you can take to begin to start moving in that direction. The second question is where can you show more compassion as you lead? The third is who do you need to speak truth and love to? What's a hard conversation that you need to have? Four, where can you invest more in the next generation of leaders? How can you invest in their education? How can you invest in equipping them? And how can you invest your time in praying for them? And the last one is how do you model commitment to the mission? I believe if we do these things, we will lead much better. And one of the best things to do as leaders is to have accountability. Someone to walk with us through life and keep us in check. Someone that's going to help us reach our goals. And that's what coaching is all about. So if you're interested in having somebody help you apply these to your life, sign up for a free discovery session. I'd love to spend some time talking with you about your life goals and how we might be able to work together uh, to create something amazing for the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm.